0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sunrise Ministries, and I have been kind of on a recent uh, uh, study in the book of Job, um, just really considering the impact of the trouble of man and the mercy of God. Um, Job, of course, you know, we know the end of that story, you know, and we always know that it's going to have this happy ending, which I think appeals to the American sensibilities but Job, when he lived that event, which I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and I believe that he lived that event, it was not just an allegory or a story or those type of things, as I consider that text to be um, um, a real event that took place. Um, I do think it's early. I think it's uh, even uh, possibly as early as uh, Genesis chapter 10, somewhere around that time. Uh, certainly, I think Job could be a contemporary of Abraham. Um, you know, because remember, the Bible's not written in that kind of chronological order. It's, it's written in, in, you know, in, in kind of this narrative order of revealing God. Uh, and of course, the order has been determined by things like the Septuagint and, um, and, the, and kind of the placing of the books. Um, and so, thinking a lot about Job, I, I've been thinking about uh, chapter 14 and the first two verses, uh, which say this, Man, who is born of a woman, is few of days and full of trouble, he comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Um, Job, of course, is uh, been crying out to God his struggle about the uh, calamity that has happened to him, his uh, his livestock being destroyed, his children being killed. Um, all he has left is—is—I is, mean, he's just his health, which is failing with boils, and he's sitting in an ash heap. Um, a lot of people like to pick on his wife and go, "Oh, look at you know, oh, she's being so mean to him. She told him to curse God and die." But she's she's grieving as well. She just lost her ten children. Her livelihood has been destroyed. Uh, everything that she has worked for and partnered with Job on has been taken away. So I don't think we should uh, really heavily criticize Job's wife. Uh, how would we react? in such a situation. I mean, we don't we don't know, and so I think it's unfair to uh, really really criticize uh, her in the narrative. Uh, and the narrative itself does not criticize her, so I think it's important to remember. But um, Job has been uh, sitting there, and he's just been, uh, you know, he's talking about, I hope in God, that, you know, chapter 12, the Lord has done this. You know, he's, chapter 13, he's hoping in God. But in chapter 14, he kind of takes a turn, and he begins to uh, uh, bemoan his own life, you know, he, he talks about cursing the day he was born. He talks about, you know, the, the, the mother that gave birth to him he wished it never happened. Um, and, and, he, and he says this line that, that I think is, is amazing, especially for the modern world. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Um, of course, I'm recording this on uh, the Friday before Mother's Day, and maybe that's also kind of got me sparked thinking about my own mom and my own wife, the mother of my uh, my children. Um, and, I, and I think that's important to remember that that in, in, in a world where we, uh, even the church, has somewhat subjugated women to lesser roles, we forget her, the mother's most important role, which is bringing life into the world. And of course, this is why Christians uh, should be, uh, pro-life, and we should be anti-abortion because uh, this is the this is the world that God has set up. It is not for innocent children to be murdered, but instead to be born into the world by a woman who has taken on this responsibility, this role. Um, and and I think it's it's so important to celebrate Mother's Day, and especially in the church, because man, you know, he man is is responsible for his family. He's the head of the wife, which does not mean that he is more important than her. You know, this is an equal partnership. You know, I think about Aquila and Priscilla leading Apollos in a more excellent way. Um, The woman is not less than. The Bible does not teach this. Now, in a cultural context, it sounds that way, especially to modern English ears. It sounds like, well, he's the head, you know, obviously she's less than. No. Jesus is the head of the church. Are we less than Christ? In the sense that we are not the Savior, yes, but not in the sense that he thinks less of us. He loves us. He died for us. He gave himself up for us. So in the same way, the husband dies for the wife. He would be willing to sacrifice himself and does sacrifice himself for her and for his children. But the woman is the one who brings life into the world. She is the one God has given the agency of creation to. Think about that. Man cannot create. He can build things. He can build houses and great structures and write uh, great uh, literature but he cannot bring life into the world. Now, he is a part of it, of course, in the in the marriage relationship. He is an essential role. You cannot have children without the husband and the man. But he is not the one who carries the child for nine months, and he is not the one who gives birth to the child. Man is born of a woman. But moving on, what does Job say? He's full of uh, few of days and full of trouble. Now, that full, that few of days is, I mean, we all you know, what's the real tragedy of life, uh, especially uh, what the tragedy of death is, the loss of time, you know, and that's why we mourn young people who die, you know, we mourn them more than someone who's lived 75, 80 years, maybe more, because we like to think that, oh, they had a life, they they live, they got to experience, and they got to have joy, and, and they got to experience all these things, and we consider the person who is few of days, the the child who dies or the teenager who dies or the young adult or whoever, whoever, we consider that such a tragedy because, because they didn't get to live. But Job says that we're few of days anyway. I mean, what's one thing every elderly person can say? How fast the time goes by. It goes by so fast. And not only is it quick, not only are the days few, but they're full of trouble. They're full of trouble. Life is full of heartache and pain. Trouble comes daily and threatens to steal our joy and peace. And, you know, we can shake our fist at heaven. We can say, God, it's not fair. Why did you set it up this way? We don't understand what's going on. You know, why, why didn't you just let us ha- live for longer? But this is the way God has set up the world. We cannot shake our fist at heaven and blame God. We cannot blame God for his creation. Instead, it is a it is a worship response that will keep us in joy and peace. See, trouble will come and steal it, but worship, even in the midst of trouble, worship will add to your joy and peace. You know, Jesus uh, talks about this in Matthew 6 when he, in verse 27, he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? You know, you can't get more time by worrying about it. You can't add more time to your life by being upset about the amount of time you have. All you can do is choose what to do with the time you are given. You know, I think about, uh, I guess I'm quoting uh, Gandalf there from Lord of the Rings. But all we can choose, Master Pippin, is what to do with the life that we have. Jesus says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So the most wisest, richest man in the Bible, blessed by God to build the temple was not as, as glorious as a flower in the field. Why? Because the flower never worries. The flower only worships. It only worships. It trusts God. It does what it was created to do, and it never, ever, ever complains. And, and so, and, you know, it might be a little silly to say, well, how can you say a flower never complains? Flowers don't talk. It's a creation of God, and it does exactly what it's created to do. If we were that way, if we would do is simply, exactly what we're created to do, worship God and love our neighbors, then, I mean, the joy and peace would overflow in our lives. But we spend so much time worrying about trouble. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, Jesus has given us the issue. We have little faith. We don't really believe God. We don't really believe that God is going to take care of us. We don't really believe and trust that he's going to fulfill his promises for us. No, instead, we go off and do it ourselves, and this is the trouble we bring upon ourselves. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Our prayer request, over and over again, become about us so quickly. God, help me do this thing, help this relative, help this person. Please, God, you know, do this. But instead, what if we simply would realize that God knows what we need? He already knows the prayer request. He knows the issue that is coming in your future that you don't even know yet, that you don't even know you're going to ask a prayer request for at your church next time. You don't even know yet, but God knows. Now, is this to say you shouldn't ask for prayer? No. But if you only ask for prayer... If you're only seeking God when trouble comes, if you're not worshiping, then you may not have the right relationship with God. You may not have the maturity in in the faith that you think you do. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Instead of worrying about the few of days and full of trouble, seek the kingdom of God. Worship, and these things will be added to you. And then verse 34, which which I I need to tattoo this onto my brain. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You cannot do anything about tomorrow. You can make plans, as the book of James says, but if the Lord wills, they will happen or they will not. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, this this is the consistent message of the Bible. We do not, I repeat, do not truly plan our steps. God plans our steps. God sets the path before us. And I'm so glad because if it was up to me, I would go off the cliff of sin and into hell. But God so richly in mercy put guardrails for me. God so richly in in grace gave salvation to me. God so richly loves me. And by doing so, keeps me out of trouble. In Job fourteen, in in verse two, Job says he comes like a flower and withers, and you know that's true. That's true. There is a there is a good sense in which, um, you know the the, the sun withering grass and withering flowers and, and and those those flowers dying and being cast into the fire. You know what's what's the heat that is put upon us in our world? I think it's stress. I think it's um you know certainly these these spiritual issues that a lot of people have. Um, Christians just simply trying to be faithful members of the church, you know, uh, can wither you. Um, but I think the real issue is what we're rooted in. Um, growth, growth tapers off when we are not grounded in the rich soil of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount with the rich, the, the I'm sorry, not the rich man, but the man who built his house on the sand and the one who built his house upon the rock. The sand has no depth, it has no foundation, it is immediately washed away by water. But the rock, the good foundation, keeps us you know keeps our structure from from failing keeps us upright but there's another issue it's is not just uh, being built upon the rock but having good rich soil in Matthew 13 verse 5 Jesus is giving the parable of the sower and he says other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil but when the sun rose they were scorched and since they had no root they withered away scorched this is what the world does to us. The world puts the heat upon us. And if we have no root in Jesus Christ, see, see, this rocky ground could even be your cultural Christianity. And so many people have sprang up. But they have no depth. They have no root. They have no true uh, root in good nutrient-filled soil. And spiritually, when the, when, the, when the heat comes, they die. They wither away. How many people If your church was besieged by the government and there was simply a government official at the door of your church trying to get names and addresses to find out who was going to that church for future, you know, I don't know what. If you say, oh, you're crazy, that'll never happen. Well, it's happened before. Just read a history book. It's happened all the time. It's happening in Canada right now. If you have no root, you will wither away. It would be so easy right now for Pastor Jim Coates, the the pastor in Canada who's who went to jail for for preaching the gospel and is refusing to um, um, shut his church down? This church is meeting in secret right now. And and if you're one of those Christians who is standing there going, well, Romans 13 says you just need to listen to your government. You have no depth of soil. You've taken Romans out completely out of context. And if the when the heat comes, you will wither away. And if you say, oh, that's so harsh. Yeah, it's harsh. It's scripture. When the heat comes, are you going to wither? Because you'll find out, and you will find out quick. You will find out what you were rooted in. Because it's from the root that the plants draw nutrients, strength, and the ability to grow. And it is from the spiritual root in the soil of salvation in Jesus Christ that we draw nutrients, strength, and the ability to spiritually grow. If the root is weak, the foundation is, is, is going to fail, the flower will wither, and we will fall. We must be rooted in Christ, and Christ alone, not cultural Christianity, not a version of Jesus that we can get at the supermarket. No, we need the truth. We need the Lord Jesus Christ and the soil that he has. I think about this a lot, this idea of scorching, because this is what the world does. And and there's, there's so much of American Christianity that is um, oh, is this persecution? You know, someone being mean to me, someone going, oh, you're stupid for believing in God, how could you believe that? No. Jim Coates is being persecuted. These churches in China and Cuba and other places, they're being persecuted. Churches in India. I mean, you you have this massive health crisis going on in India right now. But what is the world not even talking about Is the is the religious impact. of of churches losing half their members, of losing pastors, because who are the ones who are going to go out and risk their own lives are the ones who have faith in God. They're going to go take care of the sick. They're going to try to uh, uh, take food. They're going to take medical supplies. And in doing so, will expose themselves to the point where they will die. See, their root is strong. What is our root in? Is our root in the Lord Jesus Christ, or is it in a cultural Christianity? Because you will find out very quickly. When the heat comes, when you are scorched, whether you will stand or not. I think that's a scary thought. I think it's a very scary thought. I think um, in Matthew 7, when, when when God says, Depart from me, I never knew you, to the ones who even casted out demons. But they never knew God. They never had a root in Him. They never had a, 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 a foundation in the rich soil of the Spirit. When Job says he comes out like a flower and withers, this is what he's talking about. Life is short. I mean, it is truly, truly over quickly. So what are we rooted in? Because if your root is weak, your flower is going to wither. Your your, your, your witness is going to fail. And we, we see it right now. We see people hiding behind Romans 13, hiding behind, well, I'm just going to listen to the government because, you know, no, it's not bad to listen to government. Government is not this mono, monolithic evil conspiracy. I mean, I, it, people mostly can't get anything done, you know, half the time. I don't, I don't know how they could all be out, in on this grand conspiracy, even though I do, I do love conspiracies. I think the truth is this, is that the, the only conspiracy is the evil one. You know, Satan, who is roaming the earth like a roaring lion, he's devouring. And he is devouring those who are not rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not rooted. you know I, I, let me uh, let me turn to Matthew 13 actually because I want to I want to take a deeper look at this just for a second. This idea of, of the root foundation you know in rich soil because we, we, we read um, parables like the parable of the sower, and we just go, oh well, you know, um, but look at the entire context. it says the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, here's our verse, when they did not have much soil, they immediately sprang up, they had no depth, and when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. But other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, he who has ears, let him hear. What is good soil? Because this is the key. Notice that every other seed fails, and why did they fail? Because of location. They did not have good soil. Where is the good soil? Well, I would submit to you a couple of things. Number one, obviously good soil comes from God. But physically on the earth, where can I apply this idea of being in good soil? Planting myself, my children, my wife, my family in good soil. Well, I think uh, practically, obviously the Scripture is good soil. Um, You need to find a local church that is preaching and teaching the truth of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean they're perfect that doesn't mean they particularly follow your theological persuasion that you believe is correct. Um, you know, e- even if you're truly seeking God, there's there there is a temptation to, well, you know, I'm not going to go to that church because they just don't exactly line up with everything I believe. Paul didn't have that issue. Paul said, I come to you with Jesus Christ and him crucified, nothing else. Think about the issues with the with people being saved out of Judaism uh, the Gentiles who are coming out of paganism, the ones who were like, you know, so I used to worship this false god, but I also used to uh, do this exercise. Is that evil too? What should I do? These questions are coming up constantly. Think about the Jerusalem Council. Well, we're just going to stop doing these four things and you'll be okay, you know. And we read that and we're just like, oh, that's it. But guys, remember, they did not have Facebook. You know, the James, the, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, could not get, make a podcast, Everything they had was handwritten, so they sent it out, and that good soil goes out to all the churches. Good soil is the heart that wants and desires Jesus Christ and to worship him. That's good soil. The local church teaching the scripture is good soil. The one who loves God and loves his neighbor is good soil. This is where you need to be rooted. This is where you need to be planted. And from that good soil there will be a hundredfold sixty thirty. If you have ears, hear this. I mean, this this is what we need. Good soil. Good soil, because without it we will wither away. We will. It's gonna happen. It's a, it's a guarantee. It, it's, a, it's a horrifying reality, but it's true. What's the last thing that Job says here? Moving on. It says he flees like a shadow and continues not. And I love this idea of of the shadow, you know, that life is a shadow. Here a moment, but as soon as the sun shifts, gone. You know, as soon as the heat goes a different way, the shadow could disappear or even, or even reappear. It's so fleeting. And it's almost that, you know, you can't really get a grip on it, right? You can never catch your shadow. I'm kind of talking about uh, the kind of the Peter Pan idea, you know, of catching your shadow and Wendy has to sew the, the shadow to his feet and all that kind of silliness. Um, but, but we can never grasp the shadow. We can see it. It's kind of that phantom image, but we'll never truly get a grip upon that shadow. But I think there's another aspect of the shadow that would be good for us is the, the, what, what are some aspects? Who am I? Excuse me? What are some aspects of the shadow? Number one, it's always behind you. Number two, it's always following you. And number three, it is the reflection of your life. And so there are times when the shadow reveals truths that we maybe you don't want to face. And I'm talking about some, some emotional things, some mental things, and some spiritual things. Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 6, says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So this idea of the shadow is this previous darkness that has imprisoned you, and of course I think that 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 prison is sin, and the shadow is the reminder of that sin. So so what happens? You have someone who 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 is born in iniquity and lived a, a sinful life, but at some point God is merciful and graceful. The gospel is preached to them. They repent and believe and come to the Lord Jesus Christ truly, but they still have a shadow. They still have a reflection of their flesh reminding them of their failings. And I think this is huge. What shadow keeps you currently right now from being fully joyful in God, fully peaceful in the Lord Jesus Christ, and growing in the Holy Spirit? What shadow of sin in your life keeps you from being happy? You know, for me, I think a lot of times it's, uh, I've always been the young guy at events or, or preaching a sermon, and I've always kind of felt the shadow of, well, you know, good job, Sonny, kind of getting that pat on the head. You know, you did a pretty good job, but we'll let, let the adults take over from here. And right or wrong, but I mean, that's kind of how I feel, you know? And so that shadow kind of follows me around a little bit. But it's important to recognize because you can only you can only deal with an issue when you know the issue is there. If you are ignoring it, if you're never looking back, if you're never examining how you're growing, how you're living, how your, your, spiritual, your spiritual walk is going, your maturity, then you're never going to grow. You're never going to improve. You're going to be stuck in always remembering your past failings, past sins, and never moving forward. What shadow is stopping you right now? I mean, you could have a shadow of some hurt in the past that is, that is affecting your marriage, your relationships with your children, your uh, possible future relationships, your relationship with your pastor at your church or your, the church as a whole. You know, you might have been wounded by some other church and now you're so afraid to open up that you're never gonna truly be a part of that local family. I mean, what a terrible thing. So we have to recognize these shadows. We have to recognize that this thing has happened. Job is recognizing this shadow is his grief. This shadow is gonna be upon him probably the rest of his life and even though it has a happy ending at the end of the book, the shadow is going to be there. And Job is bemoaning his own birth. He's saying, why did this happen? Why curse the womb that bore me? You know, he's cursing his own life. This is a shadow hanging over him that God would allow me to live and suffer such pain. What shadow do you need to be removed from your life? What shadow is keeping you from truly worshiping God? Because we could look at, uh, uh, think about Isaiah 58, verse 8. I and mean, they're talking about God here. Look what God can do to break the sin, the darkness, and the shadow over your life. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. So just like the sunrise breaks the hold darkness has upon the, upon the land, God's light's gonna break forth like the dawn. The healing is gonna grow up so, God from rich soil is going to grow up healing in your life. The verse goes on, Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. God has your back. Instead of the shadow having your back, instead of the reminder of sin constantly over you, instead, God in His light shining upon you, having your back keeping the, the the work of the evil one away from you, God will remove that shadow. God will be the reflection of your life. And he should be. He should be the reflection. And I, and I think this is huge. I think this is so important that God would, would when people see us, they, we, we would reflect God in such a way that they would know we are Christians before we even open our mouth. But it is important to open your mouth. It's important to, to open in, in your mouth and speak the gospel because faith comes by hearing. And Romans says, how can they hear without a preacher? You know, there's a lot of great uh, great quotes about, uh, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, but words are necessary. You're just going to stand there and hum, amazing grace? <laughs> so you must preach, you must open your mouth, you must demonstrate a witness of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is apologetics in a nutshell, you know, give a reason for the hope that is within you. How many are trying to defend the Christian faith, but they, inside of them, have no hope? Because whatever shadow they have is so so wrapped around their life and is choking them out, choking out their seed and their plant, that they have no effective witness. What What a terrible thing. And so we must be mindful of this shadow. We must be mindful that this is over our life. You know, thinking back to Job, he says... A uh, man comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and he continues not. That continue not there. Isn't that what we're all afraid of at some point? We're afraid of death. And, and, I, and I know that Christians would would like to be able to say, oh, I do not fear death. But the truth is, there is an aspect, I think, of, of fear, of not knowing, of of wondering, am I, am I truly right before God? You know, because... It, it, We give a reason for the hope that is within us, but there should be an aspect where I do not hope God accepts me. Okay, just go with me here for a second. I do not hope that when I get to heaven, God is going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I'm not sitting here right now as a Christian believer saying, I hope God says that because I believe he's going to say that. I have faith he's going to say that. My repentance of my sin, the work of the Holy Spirit upon my life, I know God is going to say that. I trust that he's gonna say that. So I hope he's going to say that because of the spiritual hope of God's work. But I do not kind of hope in an American sense, like, oh, I hope to win the lottery one day. I really hope to get a good retirement. I really hope to get some investments going. These kind of hopes may not happen, and that is not the kind of hope you can have it with eternity and your soul. I hope in God means I believe in God. I trust in God. And though my physical life may continue not, my spiritual life will extend forever. And think back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We cannot add any time by worrying. We cannot uh, change our situation by being upset about it. All we can do is be like the flower. Our lives may be few of days full of trouble, but they can also be rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ, demonstrating his power of the Spirit, and full of worship. Full of worship. So if that's you today, and I hope this encourages you, If you you are feeling that you are few of days, and you are full of trouble, especially in the past year the world has been through, just know this. that, That verse is right. You are full of few of days, and you are full of trouble. But if you put your trust, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then worship is going to bring you to joy and peace. Worship is going to demonstrate to the world that you are a Christ follower, and worship is going to make you blameless before God. I hope this encourages you. If this is you today, then I would encourage you to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, either for salvation or for just, Lord, just, just bring me back to joy. Bring me back to peace. We who are alive are few of days, full of trouble, but worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you very much for listening. God bless you, and I'll see you next time.